Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So I want to take just a minute and actually answer those questions that he asks. He's giving the, the Philippian church like a little pop quiz here and asks them a series of of questions because he's about to give an instruction that applies specifically to people that would answer yes to any or all of these these questions. So let's just go ahead. You didn't know you were going to get a quiz today. That's why it's a pop quiz. I want you to answer these questions. So the first question is, you can write down the answer in your notes. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ. You, you, you can just ask yourself this. Do you think in my life, is there any encouragement from the fact that I belong to Jesus? Is it ever a lifting thing in my life? Do I like the fact that I've been purchased with a, with a price, that God has brought me into his family? I no longer am my own. I belong to him. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Is that ever like a good thing in your mind, ever encouraging? You find yourself down. You can remember, listen, my life is not my own. I belong to him. I, I'm, a, I'm part of the family of God. If you would say yes to that, you can just, okay, you've affirmative. I would put yes. That's how I would answer. I don't know how you would answer. The next question is this. Any comfort from his love? Is it ever comforting to you the fact that God loves you, to know that you are loved with an everlasting love, that nothing you do, nothing that happens in your life could ever separate you from, from, I don't know what your answer would be to that one. Mine would be yes. That it's comforting to know that his banner over you is love. That's his banner over you. Of all the things he could, could, could display over your life, over your head, his banner over you is love. The, the, the Bible says that you can never fully understand how wide, how high, how deep, how vast God's love. In fact, that's one of my personal prayer points I've been, I've been praying. Just God, every day, let me grow in my understanding of your love. Because the Bible says that's possible. You can grow every day and never fully comprehend. That's how vast God's love is for you. So I don't know if you find comfort in that. I, I, find, I find comfort in that. We'll go on to the next one. It says, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit. Is there fellowship with, with other believers? Do you enjoy having times in God's presence? Like we had Friday night, like we had uh, having here this morning. Any fellowship You know, there's a sweetness to being part of the body of Christ. The closest relationships you have with people are with other Christians, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Other people that really love the Lord, those are the best, most enjoyable, thriving, flourishing, growing relationships you can have with people. Because you don't just have basketball or sewing or politics or, you know, favorite sports team in common with that person. You can have that, but you've got something eternal in common. The same spirit in me is the spirit. It's koinonia. It's the fellowship that we have. Is there any fellowship that we have in the spirit? The next one is, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Are your heart, do you feel anything? (laughs) 
is there any compassion? Is there any tenderness at all? Or is your heart just like a block of stone? Are you just like a cold-hearted, unfeeling monster? Is there any tenderness? Yes, that's the question he's asking. Are, are your hearts tender at all? Is there any compassion? Okay, you can answer that one. Now, if you answered yes to any of those, or to all of those, he's about to give instruction that specifically applies to people that answered any or all of those in the, in the affirmative. So verse two, it says, then, okay, if you said yes, okay, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Yes. If yes, then we need to be of one mind, yes. One purpose. Another translation says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of, of one accord, one purpose. You know, we're, we are the body of Christ. Those of us who know Jesus, we're the body of Christ. So we've got different functions, different roles. Our lives look very, very different, but we're part of the same body. So while our functions might be different, the way that we operate and live our lives and our roles, even in the body of Christ, can be very different. Our purpose needs to be the same. One mind, one heart, one purpose. That, that's the instruction. If you said yes to any of those, then it's important for us to have the same mind, to have the same purpose in, in life, that our priorities need to be the same. My priorities should be just like your priorities. And your priorities should just be just like my priorities. If we're of one mind, one heart, one purpose, we've got the same priorities. Now, when you say priorities, you're talking about what's important to people, right? We say that that's a priority, that's not a priority. You're talking about that's important, that's not important. And people live according to their priorities. Not, not what they say is a priority, what is really a priority, right? That's, that's how people make decisions in life. That's how people spend their time, spend their money, how they spend their lives. That's how you can see what people's priorities really are. Because you know people, I know people, they'll say one thing is important, but you know it's not. Hey, family's the most important. I can look at your life. You don't care about your family at all. You're never around them. You seem to avoid them. Yeah, everything else seems to be more important, right? So people live from their real priorities. So if someone's priorities are wrong, their life is wrong. If your priorities are off, what you really value, what comes number one, what comes number two, what comes number three in your life, if that is off, your life is off. But if it's on, if your priorities are on, then, then your life is on track. If you can just get your, because we live from our priorities, it really simplifies things. If you can live from your, get your priorities right, you're gonna automatically live from them. Get your priorities right, your entire life will fall naturally into place. It, it simplifies things when you know what's a priority and what's not a priority. At, at my house, we like to watch a show called Love It or List It. Has anyone ever seen the show Love It or List It? Thank you. I was hoping there'd be another guy. Okay, yeah. I had a backup plan there, but you saved me. All women and me and Wayne. Watch Love It or List It. So part, part, of, part of that show is, you know, part of it, they remodel homes and they, you know, fix stuff up. And so the homeowner will give these people a list of what they want to see happen. Uh, we want a new kitchen. We want a new bathroom. We'd like to have a master bath, all this flooring. We'd love to have that, that new. It would be awesome if we could expand and redo the basement and add, add another bedroom. I'd love to have a home office. They've got a list of all the stuff they want. And then the homeowner provides the budget. And they'll say, okay, you've got, you know, you guys have got $50,000 to, to redo my house. You've got $80,000. You've got $150,000, whatever it is. But what often is the case is the people 
remodeling it. Well, you know, the, the list of what they want is bigger than the resources we have. So they have to go back to the people and say, okay, uh, we don't know what to do. We need to know what is a priority. What, what's, what comes, what is the most important? And once they know the priorities, it simplifies things. Because they know, okay, the, the, the kitchen, that's the number one priority. The master bathroom, that's, that's, we've got to focus on that. And in our lives, having the right priorities, it, it simplifies things. It makes life very simple and very clear. And if your priorities are right, then your entire life is, is right. The problem is most people have the wrong priorities. There there was a psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow. If you've taken psychology classes in high school or college, I'm sure you've read about him. But the thing he's most known for is something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Anyone familiar with Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? You can Google it, not right now, later on, you can Google it. You'll find lots of illustrations. Um, It's an easy thing to find. It's usually illustrated with like a, a pyramid, like a triangle, like the old food pyramid. Yeah. Where they used to tell us that uh, pasta was like the most important thing. It was great growing up. In the days when they taught you about the food pyramid, where the base of that pyramid was like bread and pasta. Yeah. I thought I was so healthy. And then they changed the whole, the whole thing on me. But they've got it illustra- illustrated similarly where it's like the hierarchy of needs. So what people focus on, what's the most important thing, and after that's been established, you can move on to the, to the next important. After that, okay, now I can start working on this. And so, so the base level of this pyramid is food and water and clothing and those kinds of things. You can move on from that. You've got food and water and clothing. Okay, there's shelter and safety, uh, protection, you move on from that and start focusing on relationships and belonging and those kinds of things. And then uh, self-actualization and uh, achievements and eventually get to where it's, it's a life of purpose and, and significance. And most people, I mean, this, was, this isn't just a, a theory. This is how most people live their lives. That they, it's just a very, very natural way of living. Here's the most important thing. I got to have food and water. I got to have clothes. People will spend, not, not everyone rises through all those levels. Some people just, their focus is their house. Oh, I'm going to get my shelter. I got to get a nice house. They'll never move to get to a place where their life is really significant and they really have purpose. Most people live according to something close to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But that's not the way God tells us to prioritize our lives. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. This will simplify our lives. Matthew chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 25. Jesus is speaking. He says this, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and our bodies more than clothing? So we'll keep reading this passage, but this is fascinating to me that Jesus, thousands of years ago, as he's about to start laying out priorities, that he starts saying, don't worry about these things, the very things that fill that number one priority in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Isn't that fascinating? That he starts off saying, hey, don't worry about food. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about, well, that's like step number one in the hierarchy of needs. And Jesus is saying, don't worry, don't worry about 
about those things. Don't worry, it means it's not a priority. Don't prioritize this kind of stuff. Don't make these things the, the most important in your life. So it took, it took uh, psychologists thousands of years to figure out the way that man has a tendency to work. Jesus knew it right from the beginning. So he's giving us instruction. Don't make this kind of stuff the most important stuff in your lives. Let's keep reading. Verse 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of, of your needs. So Jesus starts talking about the birds in the air. How they, they, you've never seen a, a bird that has a barn. God takes care. They're not stressed about their, their crop. God, God feeds them. He talks about the flowers of the field. That Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, as wonderfully as he was dressed, it couldn't compete with the way that God dresses grass out, out in the field. And so he's drawing our attention to the faithfulness of God to care for what he has created. And if we can, if we can trust his faithfulness, it will help us to move our priorities from basic stuff to important stuff. If you don't trust him, you don't trust him to provide. You're, not, you're gonna be stuck on unimportant things. You'll spend your life running after the very things Jesus said, don't worry about this. L listen to this verse, verse 32 again. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. These things dominate the thoughts. One translation says of heathens. It dominates the thoughts of heathens. It, these things dominate the thoughts of pagans. This translation says unbelievers. That, that is a sobering verse. That, 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 that verse bears some consideration because he's giving us a working definition of what an unbeliever is, what Jesus would describe as a heathen. So it, it, you can come to church, sing the songs, all of those things. You can find yourself in the category of what Jesus, you're, you're not even a believer. You're a heathen. What, what is his working definition? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. So if you find yourself that you, uh, dominated by thoughts of what I'm, what, what I'm going to wear, I got to worry about this, I got to pay the bills, natural stuff, low level, tier one, tier two, tier th three things. Jesus is saying, that's, you, you're an unbeliever. <laughs> you, you're, a, you're a pagan, you're, you're a heathen. These things, if they dominate your thoughts, this should be a giant wake-up call that Jesus does. You can consider yourself whatever you want. Jesus doesn't consider you a believer because you're not trusting your father to take, to take care of you. you. You are in the category of unbeliever. And then he says, your father already knows all, all of your needs. So he's not saying that these things aren't needs. He's saying the father already knows your needs. He's saying they're not priorities. Of course, God made you. He knows you need food and water outside of these 21 days. <laughs> he 
know, he knows the way that you're wired. He knows you need clothes to wear. In fact, he would be disappointed if you walked around without any clothes. He, he's in favor of those things. He understands you need shelter. It's cold outside. You can't have your family huddled up, you know, under a bridge somewhere. That's no way, way to live. He, under, he knows your needs. He's not saying these things aren't needs in your life. He's saying they're not supposed to be priorities in your life because he's about to give us the, the priority we're supposed to have. And you know this verse. You already know where we're going. Verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I'm not a huge fan of that translation. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. So what, what is supposed to be the priority of our lives? We, we took the quiz, right? We're supposed to have one mind, one purpose. That, that would be hard to get us all on the same page unless Jesus said, here's what your one mind and one purpose needs to be. It's for the kingdom, for the kingdom. It's gotta be for the kingdom that we seek first. Number one is the kingdom of God. Our, our, our number one priority. That's the most important thing. Everything else falls into place. All, the rest of your life. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus takes us right to the top of the pyramid, and instead of having to scale your way and spend your life clawing your way up through a hierarchy of needs until someday you can have purpose, someday you can have significance, if we do it God's way, he says, just start right off with the most significant thing that there is. Go ahead and have purpose. You don't have to try to find meaning. You don't have to try to find why in the world am I here. It's for the kingdom. The reason that you and I are on the earth right now is for the kingdom, to seek the kingdom, to advance the kingdom. And if I'll do that, if you'll do that, all these other things, yeah. all, it, it works the opposite of the way that the natural mind works. Instead of coming up from food and drink and clothes, and, but I, I start at the top of the pyramid, God flips the whole thing upside down, and all these other things are added to you if you'll value the kingdom above everything else. A real priority, because most people, most people in the church would say, yep, you know that verse, seek first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's first, a real priority. You can actually see it lived out in your life. The way you make decisions, the way you spend your time, the way you interact with people, the way you conduct your relationships, are, is the kingdom of God really number one in your life? Now, earlier in this same chapter, Jesus gives us the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Those aren't two separate requests. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The second part of that actually adds clarification to what the first part means. Your kingdom come, okay? What does that mean, Jesus? What, your kingdom come, I, I get that's supposed to be really important. I don't know what that means in practicality in everyday living. Your kingdom come, he clears it up. Your will be done. That where God's will is done is where his kingdom has come. That, that's what kingdom means, the dominion, the reign, the rulership of the king, where the king is in charge and things are submitted and in line with his will. That's, that's the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So if you and I want to seek first his kingdom, a major part of that is making sure that God's will is done. That God's, what, what does he want? What does the Father want? What does the King want? Your kingdom come, your will, that's supposed to be our primary concern. What is the will of the Father? What, what, what does he desire? What does he want? Well, he, he doesn't want any to perish. 
right? We know that. He's not willing that any should perish, that where your will is done. So you and I, to seek that first, what it practically looks like is to take an enormous interest in making sure other people come to know Jesus. Because that's how I, I seek first his kingdom. You've got to attach yourself, get involved, get interested in seeing the people around you come to know Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What, what are other things you know about the will of God? We know that he wills that husbands would love their wives like Christ loved the church. So when I submit myself to what Jesus' instruction, that I, I work on becoming a more godly husband, I'm, I'm advancing his kingdom. I'm seeking it first. Children are supposed to honor their fathers and mothers. They're supposed to obey their parents. That, that's, that's the will of God, right? And we could go on and on talking about different things we know from the word of God, what he desires, what his will is. When we carry that out, when I inflict my, my circumstances, my situation, the people around me enforcing the will of God, I'm actively advancing his kingdom. I'm seeking first his kingdom come, his will be done. Seek first number one priority in our lives. That everything in our lives should, should, should center around priority number one, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Your will above my will, what does, what does he want? That it should saturate every part of our lives. When you go to the coffee shop, it's not just about you getting the preferred latte exactly at the temperature you want and hoping that you look nice and everything works out well for you and the line isn't too long. All, all that is fine. I hope that works out for you as well. But you also have my number one priority is to somehow advance the kingdom, to speak a word of life, to lead someone into the kingdom, to help somebody grow in their walk. Everywhere we go, it's not just a side thing that we dabble in. It's, our number, it's the number one thing. It, it's what our life is all about, the kingdom of God. And again, if that is off, if we miss that, if we just kind of give a nodding religious nod to it, your life is off and it'll never be on track. God, God's speaking this for our blessing. So you don't have to worry about anything else. He'll take care of everything else. Just folks, number one on his kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his righteousness. Righteousness. When we think of righteousness, think of, um, you know, just general holy living, right? Be, be a righteous person, which is, which is good. We should do that. But righteousness literally means right standing. Keep yourself in right standing with the king. You're seeking to advance his, his kingdom to carry out his will. As you do that, also make sure that you're in right relationship, right standing with him so that you can receive the benefits. You know, when you think of a government that has benefits for the people, the citizens, a properly functioning government anyway, you know, if you're not, if you're not in right standing with the government, then you forfeit the benefits right? That's the way that, you know, a healthy government would function that way. So I've got to be in right standing with the king in order to qualify for what Jesus wants me to qualify for. What he, wa he wants to take care of everything, but you can't do it if you're not in right standing with him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his, his righteousness. And if you do that, what happens? All things will be added unto you. Again, this is amazing. All of your physiological needs, all of your psychological needs, all of your financial needs, all, all of your relationship needs, all of your physical, whatever, all these things that people strive and strain and got this whole pyramid backwards that they're running after. God says, just start with the call that I have on your life to carry out the kingdom, to advance the kingdom, to be an ambassador for the kingdom and all these other things will be added, will be added unto you. You know, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he tries to explain it to people. And we've talked about this before. But one of the key components in understanding the kingdom is it expands. It doesn't stay the same. 
So places like Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus is explaining the kingdom of God, he'll say things like, okay, how can, what can I compare it to? All right, uh, okay, think about yeast, right? Like yeast, you put a little bit of yeast in, in a batch of dough, and it doesn't take long. That little bit of yeast spreads, it affects the whole thing. It doesn't just stay in one little pinch on the corner of, of, of the dough. It saturates, it permeates, it changes the consistency. It changes what that dough is like. So that, that's how the kingdom of God is supposed to function. It advances, it takes over, it's, it's moving forward. He said it's like a mustard seed that even though it's small, looks like the most insignificant seed, you put it in the garden. It actually, it becomes the largest plant in the whole garden and it takes over. Birds are, are, are living in its branches. It's the, it's the biggest thing. So it, it grows, it advances, it, it takes over. Over, that's the way the kingdom is supposed to work. So you and I, if we're going to advance, it needs to grow. It needs to expand. That a king wants his territory not to stay the same size. He wants to colonize, right? He wants to take over new territory. I love that word colonization. I've been thinking about it for our church lately. To colonize, spread it. Listen to this definition of colonization. The action or process of settling among and establishing control over the indigenous people of an area. The action or process of settling among and establishing control over the indigenous people of an area. That, that's what we're supposed to be doing in our community, in our workspace, wherever we go, in West Virginia, wherever, to colonize, to spread, to take over. Not, not for us to control, to bring them under the, I'm not trying to be a control person, to bring them under the dominion of King Jesus, to let them know him so they can start to advance the kingdom. That we, our, our lives shouldn't stay at the same capacity. Your life shouldn't be the same impact this year as it was last year. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. God's word is for us to be fruitful and multiply. And I'll, I'll tell you, we'll get more into it in this series. But that's, that's the word of God for our church this year, to be fruitful and to multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That our heart should be for the kingdom. I'm going to be fruitful for, for the kingdom. Not thinking what is the least I can do for the kingdom. That, that's how so many people think. What is the least I can do? What is the most distant I can grow from the body of Christ? How, how loosely can I be linked with the things of God? What's the most you can do? How much impact can I make? How much fruit can I bear for the kingdom of God? What, what's the absolute most that you can do for the kingdom? God, I want to do all that I can. Not the least possible. That's why the Bible is filled with examples of a runner running as if he's going to win. Throw off any weight. Pastor Christina talked about it last week. Like a good soldier. It doesn't get entangled with anything that's going to keep him from carrying out the desires of the one who enlisted him. That I'm supposed to be fruitful for, for the kingdom. To be fruitful and, and to multiply. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You've got to have the right priorities, the right reason, the right purpose. And it needs to be common among all of us. One mind, one purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. It says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. 
the one who plants and the one who waters work together. That's what, that's what we read earlier in Philippians. Work together. One mind, one heart. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. There's a reward for serving the Lord. His kingdom come. Seek first his kingdom. All these other things. Both will be rewarded. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. So he's talking here. He says, who's Apollos? And who am I? It doesn't even matter. All we are is workers for the kingdom of God. Different roles, different, different ways of, of functioning, but we have the same purpose. We're of one mind. We're of one purpose. That, that's consistent throughout Paul's teaching and his writing. His reason, his priority. I'm a worker in the kingdom of God. I'm trying to build the kingdom of God. Whatever part of the body we are, we're trying to advance the kingdom of, of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll come back to this passage. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. So he says, for this reason, he's talking about the, the purpose of his life. What reason? I, Paul, for this reason, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a prisoner. I'm an apostle. The, what, what I do, what I'm willing to suffer, what I'm willing to go through, what, what I'm willing to endure. There's a reason behind it. There's a driving force. Well, if we back up a couple of verses, he tells us what that reason is. Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God. For, for what reason? For that reason. That people that were strangers and foreigners could now be citizens. They could be part of the kingdom of God, part of the family of God. That, that was his purpose. That was his, that was his reason, so that people could be a part of the kingdom of God. Most people either don't have a priority, they don't have a reason, they don't have a purpose, or they have the wrong priorities, the wrong purposes, and the wrong reasons. But you and I, we're, we're the body of Christ. The, the church needs to be the church and value what Jesus wants us to do. We are the body of Christ. His desires have to come first in our, in our lives. And what better time than at the beginning of the year to say, God, I'm putting your kingdom first in everything. Your kingdom is the number one thing in my life. I've got a purpose. I've got a meaning. I've got a reason for being here. And it's for the kingdom of God that I could see people come into it and I could see them grow in it. It's a problem when people don't, aren't clear on their purpose, their mission, their reason, their focus. What's priority number one? It throws things into chaos. That's why the Bible says where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. They run crazy. They don't know what's important and what's not important. L- listen to this from 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is from when David went to visit his brothers and Goliath was coming out and taunting the, the armies of Israel. Verse 28 says, now Eliab, his older, oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men that Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Isn't there a cause? Don't we have a purpose? Isn't there a priority? This is... This is the people of God. This is Israel that we're talking about. In fact, it's the army of Israel. This is God's army. King Saul's somewhere in the mix there. The king of Israel. But because they weren't clear on their cause, everything was off. They weren't functioning properly as God's people. They weren't functioning properly as the army of God because they weren't clear on their cause. 
that if you read that entire chapter and Goliath comes out to taunt them every day, twice a day for 40 days, how does it say that the army responds? Every day they'd line up, he'd come out and taunt them, and then they'd all scurry away, running around saying, have you seen the giants? And they'd all run the other direction. That's not the way the army is supposed to function. You don't just get dressed up to look nice. You know, I, I like to be a part of the army because we get good food rations and I get a tent to sleep in. And man, I look awesome in my uniform. I love having a shield and a sword. You're missing, that's not the reason. It's to advance the kingdom. And so because they weren't clear, David said, isn't there a cause? Isn't there a purpose beyond just looking the part, beyond just acting the part that we're supposed to actually carry out the desires of of God? So many people fall into that same kind of thinking that those Israelites did when Goliath would tempt them. They want to look the part. They want the benefits of being a part of it, but they're not willing to actually bear any lasting fruit. That's the reason you're part of the kingdom. I chose you, Jesus said, that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would, would remain. It's important to bear fruit. You know, there's a story in uh, the book of Genesis of a woman named Tamar who had a, had a husband, but her husband died. And so her father went to the husband's brother and said, Hey, listen, the custom is, you know, they didn't have any kids that you need to marry her. And so you can produce an heir for the guy that died. Some of you know this story. And so, uh, I think the guy's name was Onan. That he took her as his wife, and he slept with her. And the Bible says that every time he had sex with her, he he spilled his seed on the ground. Now, I'm I'm not being crude. This is a Bible story. This is a Bible story. That he spilled his seed on the... What what was he doing? He wanted to enjoy the environment. But he didn't want to actually produce any fruit. He wanted to enjoy certain capacities of of having her, but he didn't want to actually produce anything of of value. And it's important to know how God responds to people with that mindset because it's not good. It's a dangerous place to think, I'm just going to be a part, see what I can get out of it. I just want to enjoy things. There's a point of maturity where you've got to start to develop and give fruitfulness for the kingdom. That's the point, For for the kingdom. That story ends with God killing that man. God, because he wouldn't produce fruit for her. He just wanted to enjoy things and not produce. Now, I know people can pull all kinds of different things out of that. That's the point of that story, that he refused to be fruitful. And that's not just the harshness of the Old Testament version of God that we read. That's New Testament. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I'm, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And if you don't bear fruit, what, what happens? You get a pat on the head and just thanks for being a part of things anyway. It's the same kind of thing. It's harsh that you get cut off and thrown into the, into the fire. It's important for you and I as Christians to make sure our lives are producing for the kingdom. That's the driving factor, the fire in our hearts for the kingdom. For Like Paul, the reason I'll suffer what I'll suffer, what, how I'll give what I give, the reason I'll, I'll use my time the way that I use my time, the way that I invest in other people, the way I invest in people, it's for the kingdom, for the kingdom, like a mantra on the inside of us. I'll do it for, for your kingdom, God, for the kingdom. Because we're going to be held accountable for what we do. In fact, pick back up where we left off, verse 9. It says, For we are both workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, verse 10, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. 
Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already laid, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on this foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So Paul starts to talk about judgment day, standing before the Lord in judgment. And there, there will be two judgments. One, one is for unbelievers. The Bible talks about it in Revelation chapter 20. The, it's called the great white throne judgment where sinners will come before the Lord and they'll be judged and then they'll be sent to hell. And they'll be, I mean, they're all going to hell, but they'll be judged because hell won't be the same for everybody. You can read in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 12 about varying degrees that it'll be, it'll be less bearable for some than, than others. There's people that are particularly wicked will have, I mean, nobody wants to go to hell. It's going to be terrible for everybody, but they'll be judged and there will be degrees of what people experience in, in hell. So it's the great white throne judgment, but there's another judgment that he's talking about here because he's talking about people that are saved. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the church that will be before the Lord in judgment as well. It's referred to sometimes as the Bema judgment. Read you another passage where it's referenced. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That we will all present our works before the Lord. That once we are saved, it doesn't mean now it's just smooth sail and do, do whatever you want. That once we're saved, we're supposed to live our lives knowing that you're going to stand before Jesus and you're going to be judged for what you have done with the gospel. You've been entrusted with the gospel, the most precious thing. You've been entrusted with it. What, what have you done? What have you done with it? Some will be rewarded and it's going to be a great reward. It's going to be an eternal reward. Your, your reward, you'll get to enjoy forever and ever and ever and ever. So people pursue things in this life. This is, this is the shortest thing we'll ever know. This is just setting us up for, for eternity. Some people will be rewarded. And they'll enjoy that reward for eternity. And some people, it says, they'll suffer great loss. That they'll still be saved. So this is a judgment specifically for people that are saved. They'll still be saved, but like someone barely escaping through, through a fire. That there will be people on judgment day that know Jesus and when they stand before him, it'll reveal that your life was of no value. The years you had, the opportunities you had to impact, the fruit you could have borne for the kingdom, you wasted it, you squandered it. Your life meant nothing. Nobody benefited from it. There was nothing for the kingdom. It was about you. It was about your comfort. It was about your family. There was nothing lasting for the kingdom. Other people will be rewarded. And if, if Jesus is rewarding heavenly rewards, these are rewards to be desired. We don't understand it all. We probably can't understand it all. But it's an ignorant standpoint to think of, I just want to get to heaven, and after that, it doesn't matter. You do want to get to heaven. But just like there's going to be degrees of punishment, it's, heaven's not going to be the same experience for everybody either. 
Some are going to be greatly rewarded and some are gonna just barely make it in. You're gonna want those rewards. You don't want, you don't want that you're 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. You'll stand before Jesus and you, it, it's all burnt up. It was all wood. It was all hay. It was all stubble. It was all flesh. It was all natural. It was all, all temperate. That your life meant nothing. I'm thankful I'm in a room full of people that won't have that experience in Jesus' name. Amen? That we're going to be greatly rewarded because we're going to live our lives for the kingdom. We're going to bear great fruit. We're going to live focused. Our lives will be right because our focus is going to be right. Our priority will be right. We'll be of one mind, one heart, one purpose for the kingdom. I'm going to be fruitful. We'll be fruitful for the kingdom. What is your life about? What is your life for? How are you spending your life? Is it just about you? Is it just for your family or is it for the kingdom? Is it about comfort? What's your number one concern? Really, really, you know the right answer, but really, what's your number one concern in life? It, everything in our lives needs to be attached to the kingdom. What, what's the relevance? What's the, re it, for the kingdom? What, how does your life benefit the kingdom? You're wealthy. Praise God, that's awesome. How does that benefit the kingdom? How does it impact people getting saved or people growing? How are you carrying out God's agenda, not your agenda? That's what I mean about for, for the kingdom. I'm carrying out God's agenda on, on this earth. So you, you do well in business. Praise God. How, what, does it make any impact in the kingdom? What, what child got saved? What family was helped? Who, who grew in their relationship with the Lord as a result of your success? Praise God you're successful. How, how is that changing things eternally for the kingdom? You're talented. Awesome. What's the relevance for the kingdom? You're good looking. Great. Must be nice. How's it, how does it impact the kingdom? I, I mean, really everything. There's stories in the Bible about people using their looks for the kingdom. You own your own business. Wonderful. Does it matter to the kingdom or is that just about you? That everything would be tied into impacting. What is your relevance to the kingdom? When you read through the Old Testament, Jesus didn't come yet. Jesus is pointed to in the Old Testament. It's talking about a kingdom that would come, pointing towards a future kingdom that wouldn't just be, wouldn't just be uh, in hearts, like an imaginary theological kingdom, a real kingdom that would come that would actually impact the world. It would be, it would be ruled by God's Messiah. The Old Testament is pointing towards that. And then Jesus came, and when he talked about the kingdom, again, it wasn't just in far-off fantasy, uh, make-believe, wishful thinking terms. It was in terms of the kingdom impacting people around us. Listen to what he said in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 11, verse 20. He said, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come among you. If I'm casting out demons, if people's lives are being changed, I'm exercising authority. I'm having real impact. Then you know the kingdom has come near. Jesus sent his disciples out to heal the sick and to announce the kingdom is at hand, that there was real impact. They could see this kingdom isn't just a, uh, uh, you know, a far off thing. It's a reality. And you and I, we're supposed to be ambassadors, enforcers of, of the kingdom of God, that our lives would bear fruit. There'd be manifestations of the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you, that it would, it would 
It would manifest in our lives. It would be shown. It would be revealed. How? By fruitfulness. Fruitfulness for, for the kingdom. You have a purpose. You have a, a part to play in the kingdom. A significant. No, no one's meant just to wander around in life and try to figure things out. That you have a part to play. You have a, a role, an assignment. God designed you with certain goals, certain things to accomplish. All of it for the kingdom. And age doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter. Whether your enemy would try to tell you you're too old or you're too young. Because God started using Abraham when he was 75. Started using Moses when he was 80. Started using Samuel when he was just a boy. Age, does, age doesn't matter. You have, you have a role to play and it is significant. Let, let me read one more verse and then, then we'll pray. Your role is significant and it, for everybody. Everybody. Listen to what it says in Psalm Psalm 92, the one we, we reference every week. Pastor Christina talked about it last week. Verse 14. Even in old age, this is the next verse. We always quote those who are planted in the house of God, flourish in the courts of God. The next verse, verse 14. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They'll still produce fruit. Old age, uh, I'm getting old. I've been doing this long. That's no excuse to not bear fruit. Even in old age, they'll still bear fruit. And it says they will remain vital. Vital. What does vital mean? What does vital mean? If you're a hunter and you're going to shoot a deer, you try to shoot them in the vitals, right? This is a terrible illustration. You try, you, you know, you're, you want to shoot them in the, in the by, by vitals, you mean like the heart and the lungs, the things that are like, the, the, very important, critical completely necessary, right? If you shoot a deer through the ear, uh, you know, you've just pierced his ear and saved him a trip to the piercing pagoda uh, in, the, in the mall. You, you put an arrow through him or a bullet, it, does, it didn't, very little impact. But if you get him in the vitals, they, they need those. They're, they're vital. What does this passage say? You will remain, you will remain vital. You will remain vital. If you're going to remain something, what, what does that mean when you were we're younger. It's talking about old people. You'll remain vital. What does that mean before you become old? It's you're already vital, right? If I'm going to remain vital when I get older, that means that when I'm younger, I'm vital. So all the way through, you'll remain vital. You'll remain vigorous and green and fruitful. That, that, so that applies to all of us that know the Lord, that you are vital. You are important. You are necessary. You are significant. You have a role to play. We need you. The kingdom of God needs you not to get distracted by this life and temporary things and tangled up in the cares of this life, but to throw off everything like we talked about last week and to pursue with all all of your heart, the kingdom, to start thinking through my finances, my time, my relationships, my talents, my abilities, my looks, whatever it is. God, I will leverage it for the kingdom. It's all for the kingdom, for the kingdom. When I stand on judgment day before Jesus, and he says, okay, boy, what, what did you do? I don't have my pockets pulled inside out. So I had a good time. It's for the kingdom. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.